When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. And hello, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode. I know you all, it's a sad day because it's our last episode until September, but you all are in for a treat because we have one of my great dear friends, Graham Nolan, who's the co-founder of the company Do The Work, which is all about putting queer representation into the forefront of marketing and advertising. And we just break down just the history of inclusion, hang out it's honestly just a party and we talk about business and serious things in between but you know for the last episode for a while we're here to just hang out have fun and just spread positivity so if you like advertising if you like hanging out if you want to be educated and just have a kiki welcome to today's episode grab a notepad grab a snack and let's enjoy and get into today's episode with graham and Graham, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. We're about to get chaotic, um, civilized, mannerly. Is that a word? I don't know. Um, yeah, you. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Um, yeah, I've, like, I, like I mentioned live from my, my friend's basement uh, music studio, School of Rock. So I'm, I'm, I'm bringing a musical spirit um, and freedom today. <laughs> You know, and everybody is listening in case Beyonce does drop the visual album in the middle of this recording, we will stop and what you get is what you get. Like that has been determined. Yes. I will be like, uh, honestly, when it, at the end of the day, people love at the end of the day, I'll be like at the end of the day, <laughs> the number one resource you have for LGBTQ marketing equality is wait, the album dropped. Gotta go. Seacrest <laughs> <laughs> out. <laughs> we're, we're out. Um, so we usually do a thing where I ask people like, what does the word young influential mean to them? But we're skipping that part today because this is our like off the book type of just like real talk, real chat type thing. I I knew you did that though. And I had an answer. Okay. Okay. We'll do it then. Okay. When you hear the word young influential, what do you think of? 
What I thought young influential, because it, and it's so funny. I wrote it down on my phone when I when I knew you asked that question because I was like, I, I think it. I think it's about responsibility. Um, because it's. I was. I thought it was funny. It, it, we mention it so much in terms of like the power that you wield with when you have influence and sort of you know uh, what sort of what sort of power and magnitude that gives you. But I'm just like we're in an era of transparency or growing transparency, anyways, right? Um, and influence comes from trust. I think ultimately. So it's just like, if everyone can sort of see you, they have to be able to trust you in order for you to wield that influence or for you to even have it. And trust comes from action and, you know, action comes from assumed responsibility. So I just think that like, instead of just looking at influence in terms of power to shift things and to make impact, which is very important, there's this whole, you know, other side of that equation, like the power comes with responsibility. And I know this as a fan of Spider-Man. With great power, it comes great responsibility. We love Spider-Man here. Um, and who's a greater young influential than Peter Parker and Miles Morales, honestly? Uh, right, two icons. <laughs> but let's get into the real debate. This might get heated. Heated. Um, <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it happens uh, so Yeah, it just, it just worked. <laughs> yeah. um, who, uh, who do we think is the best Spider-Man? In my opinion, I feel like uh, Tom Holland brought in the youth essence more, but my Spider-Man will always be Tobey Maguire. That is my Spider-Man. Um, but let's leave it to the floor. I liked in I liked um, in No Way Home that Tobey brought a like elder statesman energy, like a, I demand, you know, I I belong here energy. There's no this without me, but like not in a cocky way, right? It's got to be humble because it's Peter. Um, I was so surprised how much I loved Andrew Garfield. I was like, and I had forgotten the other movies that he was in. I kind of like, they were like, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big geek and I had sort of like lost those. And then when he showed up for, you know, the Spider-Man reunion, I thought he was pure charisma. I was like, is he maybe like the funniest one? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) He, 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 I don't know. I just thought he was like, he was like mega charming um, in a very like unassuming way. And that's, that's very Spider-Man. No. And also Andrew Garfield, like, his acting, I don't know, like, there's other projects this year, like um, the one he did based off the creator of Rent that was on Netflix and a few other projects he's done. He is a really great actor. Yeah. So underrated. He's He has range. I haven't, yeah, I have, It's he's one of those I haven't seen, like, uh, a ton of his stuff. There's, I actually don't watch, like, a ton of movies. If And, and someone will just sort of say, like, are you going to see like La La Land. And I'm like, is it Marvel's La La Land? <laughs> I'm dead. If, it's not, I, if it's not, I might not see it, you know? Um, but, but so it's sort of funny. There's major actors where I've never seen a thing that they've done um, unless they played an Avenger. Uh, speaking of, I'm wait, I know this is DC, but I'm waiting for Black Adam and for Marvel. I'm waiting for, I can't wait for the new Wakanda and then the new Aquaman coming out. Just God bless so many coming out. Bless, bless them all. If you would have told 13 year old me that there would be a time when there would be so much good superhero television that I don't have time to watch it all. I would have, you know, I would have scoffed. <laughs> um, I would have said, be gone with you, foul gentleman. Uh, you know, assuming some sort of lying. And it's it's like, oh my God, this is the truth of our reality. I don't, I don't have time this week to watch Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk. Like, holy uh, shit. What a, what a, what a golden age we live in. What a, what a air. I know there's so much, like I haven't, been able to start the new Star Wars um, 
I haven't seen Moon Knight. I'm so behind. Like, there's so many. I know that's a superhero, but there's so many right now that I'm just so behind on all of it. Like, I'm watching House of Dragon, obviously, but I haven't started the new Lord of the Rings one, and there's just so many that I'm behind on. I got to catch up. If I, I have to, I have to focus on sci-fi. If I ever get into like magic and dragons, there goes like the other half of, of my life. It'll just be gone. I've always been afraid of like getting into anime. It's like, there will be, my friends will be like, where'd he go? I'll be like, I watched Akira. I watched Akira. <laughs> and it all fell apart. Um, no, like that. I used to be obsessed with like, you know, I went through an era where I was like obsessed with anime and all of that. And then I discovered GQ and other stuff. And then, I traded it in, but you know what? It's time that we, you know, go back to roots and we get back yeah. into the stuff. It's the time. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, but it, it is, it is interesting to be in a, in a position of, it, it's interesting to be in a position of being bombarded with like all this great stuff. And then it's also um, cool to like, you know, to see all the representation and where the representation comes from and how it's, you know, sometimes it comes from big players and that's cool. And sometimes it doesn't. And then that stuff succeeds and like rises up. And it's so reflective of the fact that like, you know, what we considered like the long tail before of content, right. Where it's just like, you're fed this stuff on one end of this, of this very famous chart of like, you know, the, the mass media stuff. And then like things like YouTube enabled you to find all this niche stuff. And it was like in small pockets. It's like, you can move up that tail so quickly now. Um, if you speak out to an audience who hasn't been spoken to before. Um, and that's a pretty, that's a pretty magical time to be in. We love we love to see it. We love to see the representation. We stand. We're here for it. Give us it's more. It's everything. It's where it's where all the. I mean, we'll talk we'll talk about this a, a ton, but it's like that's where all the creativity comes from. Where does the creativity come from? Like the truths that haven't been addressed. These are you know these new stories. All this representation is the truths that have been there like all along, and we just never spoke to them. Like I, I don't get people, but like you said, we're gonna get into it. But before we get into it. <laughs> I, I love how I do like my like magical like segues because I will go down a rabbit hole and I will happily pack a sandwich and go down there with people like I'm not above it but I like <laughs> I'm like I'm like I gotta reel it in. before we get into it can you give us a background on like what you do and all that jazz yes uh, absolutely um, I don't know much about jazz because I haven't seen La La Land <laughs> but uh, my name is. Graham Eason Nolan. Uh, my day job is that uh, I have 22 years of experience as a communications professional in the advertising and marketing industry. Um, I've worked with agencies, uh, including uh, when I was full time, I worked with like Starcom Media Vest Group, and I worked with Gray, and I worked with Momentum, and I now work with agencies like Laundry Service and Wasserman and Lupine Creative. And I'm in the business of, um, you know, telling the story of of agency innovations, right? So it was it was sort of like a natural segue for me that when I moved to Austin, Texas uh, in September of 2019, and I Ooh. found myself on un- a, I just and when and when my boss asked, "Who are you leaving us for?" I said, "Breakfast tacos," <laughs> and I meant it. I went down to Austin without a job for four months, and you could be damn sure I ate breakfast tacos every day, even though I didn't know what my job would be. I became a freelancer, but during that time because I was like someone who was telling the stories of agencies and the actions that they were, you know, undertaking that were newsworthy and that were developments in this business. Um, I was sort of like privy, you know, to the diversity conversations that were going on and privy to these conversations around 
um, the, you know, the, the constant value of creativity in business. And uh, then it sort of struck me to like, well, we don't have, we don't have a national organization for LGBTQ people in this industry. That's pretty crazy. And, uh, and so I started talking to other people. Is there an organization that I don't know about? I'm so familiar with what Ad Color has done to advance discussions for people of color. I know what a 3% conference has done for advancing discussions for women. Um, there's no LGBTQ organization. And everyone said, yes, there is. And I'm like, what is it? And they go, oh, shit, we don't have one. It was such a expected thing that we would have that everyone assumed it exists out there, but that they just weren't a part of it. How could we not have that? So, um, you know, so the day job sort of led to the gay job, which was um, <laughs> starting to, so we always do day job, gay job, but that's a little uh, meeting starter for the word. Um, led to um, me talking to every LGBTQ person I could. And I, I always say that like, you know, do the work didn't, um, didn't come to fruition until I was able to talk with Kate Wolf, who's the co-founder and co-chair of the organization. And we uh, founded this community is essentially the model for what we're, what we're doing here. That is about um, the elevation of LGBTQ representation, creativity, and share of voice in this industry. Um, so that's kind of what I, what I focus on. I'm, I'm split between, um, you know, between active. I actually love the balance that I have right now. And I really genuinely like, love all my clients, which is so nice. I'm like down in Austin. Is it, is it okay to like, you know, say that you're happy in this business? I'm, <laughs> I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm I live, dead. I, I live in Austin. I still eat breakfast tacos. Um, one of my, one of my clients actually sent me spicy coffee this week. So I'm enjoying all the good food. Oh. I'm doing, I'm doing um, work in the industry, still connected with the press and the conferences and the events and a lot of people making change in different pockets. And then also able to expand, uh, help expand this community of LGBTQ professionals who are going to make some big change for this industry. We, first of all, I want to like stop at the breakfast tacos. Okay. So okay. yeah, let's get into it. I just, I, I like a light breakfast. So like I could, I just, <laughs> I can't eat a breakfast taco that early. It's just, it's too much early in the morning. Like, here's, what, here's what you could do. Cho, like something like chorizo might be a bit heavy. Something that's very potato heavy might be a bit much, but I will tell you this. When you go to El Cholito in Austin, you could just get one, but then you also get like this giant cup of fresh fruit. And what that comes with is tahine. Are you familiar with tahini? We love it. Yes, we do. Yes. We okay. I'm just it. making sure there's a lot of people I've talked to who it's like, who, you know, they're like, I don't know what tahini is. I'm like, well, this is cool because this starts that chapter of your life. It's like, where welcome. you will know what that is now. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Uh, you know, you've, you've decided to take, I don't know which matrix pill it is, but you've decided to take the red pill that is filled with tahini. And now, and now you wake up and you see that you've been living in a machine the whole time prior. So it's like balance it with some fresh fruit and some uh, delicious spiciness. I just, yeah. So like, I, I tried to be, it's like, it's just like, I tried to do it. Cause like, again, like I'm also from Texas. And so like, I tried the whole like breakfast burrito, breakfast taco type thing. And, you know, it's just, I need, when I, when I went, like, I need to be eased into my, like, I don't want to be stuffed as a pig that early in the morning. Like when I, like, I need to, my stomach is just waking up. Like I, I like a nice croissant, ham and cheese croissant. A ham and cheese kolache for those who are more familiar with that. Like something light enough that's like gives you just enough. Like I don't want to be like belt busting like <laughs> like, like yeah. at eight thirty in the morning, like and sleepy all day. Like I I need to be like give me 
let's go to Chewy's for lunch. Let's go to Kirby. Let's let's save that for baby A's. Let's save that for like midday. Oh, let's yeah. let's not rush into it. Let's let's ease up on it. <laughs> I, I I feel you there. I, I for the longest time like didn't eat breakfast at all for that reason. But breakfast tacos has sort of uh, thrown all that out the window for me. Um, you know, it's just this this is a new chapter of my life. It's very exciting. I, I guess I'm like I'm full at 10 a.m. Who is this person? You know, that's my that's my epiphany. But you know, we welcome breakfast tacos and breakfast burritos of all shapes and sizes. Look, by contrast to by contrast to being in New York and like hoping I could grab like I don't know like a protein bar that I'm eating on a train next to someone and the crumbs are falling all over and you know it's like how would I how would I even eat fruit during a commute in New York? Can we just like appreciate this? Like I'm I'm going to fully celebrate work from home culture and I'm going to say that I haven't eaten anything on a train in three years. That's very nice. We love to see that. I don't have to try to like eat a breakfast sandwich in a car while I'm driving. Um, you know, it's just like I just I sit at home and I eat whatever I want. And if I'm full, it's great because I'm home. <laughs> we love to see. I mean, like what I do is I, yeah. I, I have a crisp, I have a chocolate croissant every morning for breakfast. Um, so I generally wake up at not me getting into my routine. I get up at five. <laughs> I get up at five. Um, I generally will either be working out or on my off days. I'm like reading the paper. I like to make my breakfast at home. When I mean make, I mean go to Whole Foods to get my croissant. Um, okay. Put that down, have my coffee, watch a few episodes of SpongeBob or a good YouTube tutorial if I'm like really branching out. But it, I don't know where I was going with this. So that's like, so I have breakfast at home. When I'm commuting, I'm listening to a podcast or having somebody spill their donut crumbs on my shoulder. Right. So. Yes. And I, and I refuse to take responsibility. I'm not part of that community anymore. Like, you know, I've, I've released myself from those people. So don't blame their actions on me. I'm, that's not me. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry you're going through that. And I will, I will help you fight those people. I help you fight those people every step of the way, really. You're like, it's just like, I'm just like, ma'am, like, we do this every morning. Like, get a napkin. I'm not your napkin. Like, please grab a napkin. Yeah. Make it easy on everybody. Like, just, <laughs> just, just grab a napkin. Like, don't, we love your donut. Don't bring any food. Don't bring any food that smells like anything onto a train. Like, don't oh open. Don't open salmon on a train, which sounds absurd. But like, if for anyone who's lived in New York, you know that that something like that could happen at any moment. Like, people have the lox bagels, and I'm just like, come on, can you wait till you like get your <laughs> like. Your lox bagel is now mixing with my cologne, and now I'm going into my office smelling like I just left the fish market. And people think I'm crazy <laughs> when I originally woke up smelling like wealth, and now it's ruined. With but I fish. will say, because it's New York, and if we're talking like a standard train, at least the salmon person is distracting you from the person on the other side of you who's clipping their toenails. That's true. Yep, you got to take what you can get. It's like I, I guess I can't have it. I, I can't. I can't have it all. I can't, I can't have it all. Like I would love for an easy commute, but you know, it is. It is what it is. I take what I can get. Yeah, uh, we have we have a lot of things to fix. <laughs> Speaking of fixing, people. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm coming back in. Um. So today's discussion, we're obviously talking about being out in the workplace and just being an LGBT person in the workplace. And I feel like we all have to rewind back and first think of 
some of our first examples of seeing representation like on the screen. And I feel like that's usually a lot of our, um, a lot of our like first templates or first examples of seeing it. Like I know for me, my first time seeing like an LGBT person in the workplace was Will and Grace, like seeing Will go to work. I don't think Jack ever went to work, but I remember seeing that and being like, okay, that's, that's, that's how it goes. And then like nowadays, like we have other representations, but like, what was some of your like first examples that you remember seeing that you were like, Oh, okay. Like they're now having, showing them work. You know, so this, uh, this harkens back to a specific moment (laughs) where I was, um, so I, I ended up uh, through my nerdiness, uh, which is, you know, just a full, like, you know, it's outside of the day to day of all this. Um, uh, I got on a New York times panel at New York's, uh, New York comic-con that was about LGBTQ presentation and pop culture and you know focus on like comic books and nerd stuff right so you've got a bunch of people i feel like i was probably the oldest person on the panel um but there was like a, a bit of a range and they asked everyone who was your who was your queer icon growing up um and i froze i didn't know we didn't know the questions in advance and i froze i was like who did i have i had no one uh for context i'm 43 i had no i couldn't believe that i had no one um i I said Shirley Manson from Garbage because she's not LGBTQ, but she said the word queer in a song. And I remember that at the time that felt like such a, like, oh my God, can we even say that word? Like people today will even sort of ask, like, is that something mm-hmm. that we're allowed to say, right? Is that our word? Who owns that word? Um, and and I was like, wow, Shirley Manson is who I have to lean on. And then I was like, the person after me is going to have a better answer probably. And I th- And the next person was just like, I don't know if David Bowie is officially LGBTQ, but I just want to say him because he was sort of like coded LGBTQ. You have, a, and then the next person, it was funny because by the way, on this panel was Billy, the blue Ranger from power Rangers. Wait, I'm dead. The, the next person who was, who was not Billy said, I, for me, it was Billy, the blue Ranger, because even though the character wasn't gay, I had a feeling there was something underneath the surface there. So we were all like scrounging, for LGBTQ characters when I was a kid. Um, the, I think like, I think one of the first ones I was like fully aware of and like, you know, and, and sort of followed was North star uh, who was, I believe the first Marvel character um, to come out um, who was like a mutant and an Olympian. And it was a big national news moment um, that North star was out. So that was like sort of my first one. Um, I, I also in retrospect, I'm like, Oh my God, the grumble from Ariel real monsters that wait is that the one wait i'm like i'm trying to picture is that the no that's no wrong one crom crom holds his eyes yeah this one yeah that's what i'm doing i'm holding my yeah crom holds his eyes and and his mostly armpit hair the grumble was their teacher and the grumble walked around not only in red high heels but six of them because the grumble had multiple legs i'm pretty sure the grumble identified as as male and had six high heels (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, I'm like and, wow yeah and was a teacher which i feel is very relevant right now right? Oh like so now i'm like looking back was the grumble my first like unspoken queer icon <laughs> and if and and if so and if that's the case i know why i help fight for representation now i love the grumble but i deserved better than the grumble you know what i mean no that's like um when you said that i merely thought of uh what's the red guy from Powderpuff Girls. Uh, what was his name? Um, oh, um, 
I believe it was uh, him. Yeah. I think it was just him. And how we've all like kind of like said like he represented like so I feel like that's like another one. And then um I'm trying to make Buzz Lightyear a gay icon. I'm trying to make that happen. Um still workshopping it, but that's I'm adding that to the list. I think there's memes that do it. I think, you know, but like what is this? What is this all? I mean, all, the people that we're naming are large, you know, it was all in the periphery. It was all secretive. It was all, you know, it's all queer coded villain stuff, right? It's all just like, you know, so there's, there's so many Disney villains where they were, you know, it's like, well, how do you know that they were evil? Well, they talked like this. <laughs> like, and it's like, who does, you know, and who does that sound like in your real life? If you're following like stereotypes, you know, it's just like, we showed up as never the main character. Um, you know, and, and so everything that's happening now, it's, it's sort of funny to be at the point where, um, you know, it, it, that's, that's the balance with all the rainbow washing stuff, right? Where it's just like, do I need Listerine to make me a rainbow flag mouthwash bottle? And then like, you know, nine-year-old me would have been like, just seeing a rainbow anywhere would be nice. So I guess seeing it anywhere is not always a problem. But again, I would like to know what that, that particular mouthwash maker is doing for the community. Right. So, um, so it's it's all and now in the case of like this pop cultural representation, it's like, okay, cool, if more of these characters are showing up, I hope that the people who are writing their stories are reflective of their experience. Um, if you want to see a great my 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 friend Gretchen Wilder made a web series called These Thems, uh, which sort of did like the film festival circuit a couple years back, like right before COVID, I think. And uh, you know, she and her team made sure that like the people behind the scenes were the one, you know, reflective of the people doing it and, and, and uh, the characters reflected in the show. And if someone was playing a trans character, then they were a trans actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I, I, th- I just, just for anyone who ever wants to see like a good example of like how the behind the lens reflects on the front, cause you don't get a lot of examples mm-hmm. of those. These thems is a, is a really cool series to watch. And I feel like that's a really good point too that you brought up. So I feel like a lot of times, like back then it was a lot of, they were, when we were doing the casting stuff, they either like played by the stereotypes or a lot of the people that they would have to play these LGBTQ characters weren't even part of the community or whatever. And it would always just come across as satire that they're making fun of it. Like they were either the villain or they wouldn't just let them be the character. It was just always just like in a weird way. And the thing I like about now is we're seeing, there's so much representation with this. So we have like, we have Laverne Cox and Orange is the New Black. We have... Um, we have Neil Patrick Harris and Uncoupled in that show. We have Queer as Folk. Like, there's so many examples now where I'm just like, why did it take us so long to just show that it's not like a, we're not all villains or we're not all whatever? That it like we can just play characters. Like, there doesn't need to be a huge whatever where there's always drama or whatever. Like, like my favorite examples that I feel that was like done modern day well was looking uh, i hate that it got canceled on hbo but i feel like that was one that was like the, one of the first years i saw where i was like wow like this is so well done all the way through like here we have these gay friends in there they're all different stages of life and it just i just felt it was just like pure honest and just like real it didn't they didn't have to add all these layers on their makeup drama and make it just over the top it was just like these are just like friends in california like working in tech, working in various fields, dealing with real life stuff, and like it got canceled and all that stuff. But I feel like that was like the where I'm like, okay, now we're making ways where 
representation, people would be like, oh, like, okay, so I don't have to do this or do that to be like a gay person working in tech or a gay person that works in law or whatever. Like, yeah. I can still like my comic books or my sports or whatever. Like, I don't have to do this or be this one form of gay, quote unquote, gay person. Like, I can be whatever, whatever. Uh, well, when you, you know, when you ask the question of why it took so long, it's because our representation is in opposition to certain forces that are in place. And those are traditional forces, right? Um, and, and established forces and things that we don't like to question because we were born with them. Um, we can't, we can't imagine a world without certain things that we were born with, right? Um, so the, the funny thing is, you know, there's, in, in the DEI conversation, we so frequently discuss the intent versus the impact. And I will tell you this, I don't think that for all the shitty stuff that's happening, that, that all the time, that the in, intent is bad. Um, I think that, um, I think that in the case of certain like political action that's being taken against us, I know that those, those people are fucking with us on purpose and you can sort of tell like who is very consciously like, you know, trying to repress us and oppress us. But when you, but when you look at, um, you know, the ways that those forces manifest also, they're usually very, very, you know, it's just the continuation of behaviors. It's the default that this person is a hero. It's default assumptions and, you know, what is, what is the way to correct those, to bring up discomfort in the moment, to say like, hey, but why is it that person? Or why are we assuming this thing? And then, you know, typically what they come back is, well, because that's just the way things are. And like, you know, if, if I question, if I, I question on all the media I watch, why does this person have to fall in love? You know, uh, there's, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice if like uh, more characters just didn't have to fall in love or that love wasn't like the main thing of everything. Mm -hmm. There's like, horror movies and alien invasion movies where it's still like, and you know how they're going to get through this alien invasion with love. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, what's the assumption about love? So the assumption is like that love is important to every story. And the assumption is that like heterosexual love would be at the center of that because that's most relatable, right? We get it. You have to, in those moments of the creative process, you have to go like, why do we keep doing this? And then, and then that person has, you know, the person who suggested the default you know, the default answer has to question what they've been doing their whole lives, right? <laughs> like, because this is the way that things have always been. It makes them question fundamental truths about themselves, and they don't like that. So, it, you know, you're fighting with, you're fighting with, like, very passive um, behaviors that don't always have bad intent that are just, like, ingrained in us, and we don't like to question fundamental things about ourselves. I think it's a very human thing where we would like to think we know where we stand and who we are. And then when we figure out we're a part of the problem or, or that we've maybe been obstructing other people telling their stories, we're just like, Oh shit, who am I? And and that's a scary thing for people. And you brought up a good point too. Like when you said that it made, it made me think of like how a lot of when like relating back to me and people are like, Oh, like we need to have more, uh, the producers will be like, Oh, we need to have more like representation and more whatever. And we want to, and it's like a lot of this stuff, there are like, um, LGBTQ plus like writers and producers and stuff out there who want to get on and tell our stories and do stuff. But a lot of times like there's, it's a lot of the, these like big doors are like gatekept and they're like, well, we don't know what we're doing wrong. And it's like, you guys aren't going to like, you guys are making it accessible for them to like show their work and show you the other storytellers. And that's what I like now that we have like different um, organizations and stuff that are like making it a little bit easier to like, tell our story we still have a long way to go with getting more representation in media but i feel like that's another key thing to that um that people often forget they're like 
oh yeah, like we're trying to reach these communities and really get their stories on the screen, but like we don't know what we're doing wrong. Um, you you're not allowing access. Like let's have let's start there. Yeah, um, it is it is really cool to see. Um, you know, again, I, I have a special uh, place in my heart for comics stuff and to see like more visible LGBTQ comics creators rise up and like everyone who didn't get into like Marvel and DC at first, um, you know, started stuff at Image and did like, you know, or now it's like they could do things digitally. It's like um, I was recently introduced to, do you know the web series um, Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared? Wait, no, what is this? Let's go into it. Oh, wow. Okay, so. I don't want to act like I think I'm cool for knowing this. I had friends, <laughs> friends Karen and Jordan, begging me to watch this. How have you not watched this? And then once I finally watched this, a couple of people were like, you're only just now seeing it. So bear in mind the behind the curve on this. But it was, uh, it's six YouTube films made by, as I understand, people who are in our industry over in the UK. And they made this series of, of short films that um, is uh, looks like puppets. It looks like Sesame Street. Um, and it looks like sort of a, like Sesame Street gone wrong and warped. Um, and if uh, it's it, like, it gets like really grotesque and it gets weird. And then you're just like, oh, whoa, there's like layers to this. It's like a very like, you know, a meaningful sort of art piece. And um, if you get into like the, 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 the dark web explanations of like, what did this series mean? A lot of it was about um, the fact that without the, uh, without the, the internet, um, we would not have the freedom to tell stories like we need to. And without like, you know, the uh, the equality of storytelling that we're getting and without uh, innovation in digital media, you would not be able to tell a story like the one you're watching in Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Um, so I, I welcome anyone to watch that weird little show if they can stomach it. Uh, only six short episodes <laughs> and then to like, and then dive into those fan theories because they are a direct uh, critique of of the gatekeeping that happens in mass media. Like, uh, first of all, we all love a like we love a YouTube series. Like, so many, and that's so true. Like, there's so many like really cool resources. I know, like, when I was always looking for presentation stuff, like there was whether it was YouTubers or like little mini vlog series and stuff that would talk about like being LGBT and there and stuff. And I feel like that is so true. That point you made where it's like without them, like we wouldn't have like certain like we wouldn't see certain things. I know, like for me, like growing up in the South and stuff, there were so many YouTubers and stuff who talked about like growing up LGBT, like in like Southern states or in really religious communities and stuff. And I feel like that, like whenever those types of videos are posted, that's like an area that's like quote unquote, so niche that you really wouldn't see like in mass media, but it's so relatable. And I remember like back in those early days of YouTube, like they would do like Q and A's and like always like tweet back or message back on Facebook to people. And I feel like those things like that are so important and so vital because a lot of these, a lot of people aren't in like these metropolitan cities that have access to a lot of like LGBT communities and like groups and stuff to like outreach to and connect with. And so whenever people are doing these like video series, whether it's on TikTok or YouTube and stuff and like being open about their experiences, like, you it's like it's so you think you're like oh i'm just posting something like i don't know if everybody's watching but it's like you're doing such a huge impact that goes on for like years to come well it's sort of funny that like it it, to see and i wish i had specific examples i just feel like lately i've seen conversations where people have said have pointed to things that they've seen in mass media and said that this gives me the feeling of being in chat rooms back in the day this is the value that I got from being, you know, from being online. This is the feeling I got from like instant messengers. And it's just like, you know, there's, 
what were those? Those were like concentrated community conversations around shared passions, right? Um, and and so and again, I think that like so much creativity that you're seeing that like makes it first to sort of small scale and then the mass is is stories of communities that haven't been told, right? Um, and 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 I think that that's a very encouraging thing. And I just wish that um, that our industry's motivation was to find the stories that are not being told to find those communities um, that are that, you know, we know that like you can build uh, you know, you can reach out to the mass market, but there's power to be had in like specialization and defining like different communities that may seem small by themselves. But if you can find a unifying factor, I, I E if you find LGBTQ communities that are like micro communities within LGBTQ, if you add them up and aggregate, you're going to get a huge portion of this country. Um, a lot of, the chat, the way that we sort of summarized, uh, the Kate Wolf sort of summarized our, our challenge at the outset of everything we do the work was that we were a mass market that is treated as a niche. Um, that's, and I think that's the truth of it, right? If you know, you look at Gen Z, it's like I guess you know the Gen Z is adults. Twenty percent of them are identifying as LGBTQ, and like you know, if you look at the population overall, I guess it's estimated at seven percent right now. It's like those numbers aren't going to get smaller anytime soon. And, uh, and everyone's going to wake up to the fact that we're mass um, start like digging into our communities now and like finding these up and coming communities. So you can secure your place in the future by providing value to those communities. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. And I think like another point to that, like what I'm now seeing a lot of companies do that I really like, that I feel like is in the right direction. A lot of times like back in the past, they used to like just highlight like the LGBT workers or like people in their communities like around for only pride or LGBT history month. And I'm now seeing how like a lot of them are like trying to make the move where they're celebrating it quote unquote year round and not doing that. And it's creating that like opening environment where more people are feeling comfortable to be out and like um, talk about like whatever, whatever in their offices, because I feel like in the past it was kind of like a, not like a, it was just like 
it was, I feel like it was like frowned upon if you brought up that like, oh, you know, like I'm a lesbian or like, you know, I'm gay or like I'm bi, whatever. I feel like we're now seeing that like companies now aren't just saying like the whole like, oh yeah, we support you. But we're now seeing a lot like have these internal like DI initiatives and like putting it on their sites and like really showing their coworkers and stuff in a way that is now coming across as authentic. Cause I feel like a few years ago it was very, just like, Oh, you guys are just trying to like highlight your employees are doing it because like you're trying to just check a box. Like you, I feel like you guys don't care. So I'm really glad to like, we're now seeing like companies doing it in more of an authentic, organic way. Picture it. Sicily 2017. <laughs> 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 um, it was, I was working, I was working at just, just as an example of, um, you know, the, the actual process of coming out. So 2017, um, for pride, Gray decides to team with video out, which is this huge collection of video stories from different people, the most diverse group of people possible about the coming out process. And this is not specific to the ad industry, but we decide that we are going to have our people tell not only the story of what it was like for us to come out, but also what it was like for us to come out in this business, right? Which is why, which is why it was specifically relevant to ad week, why there's a lovely article <laughs> again. Um, that that um that there so so we're in the planning process for this and i'm talking about how when uh, i was in my first job i came out at the age of 22 i actually figured out that i was lgbtq around that time um i was like okay and and my coworkers made very clear like they didn't go you're obviously gay why don't you come out they didn't yank me out of the closet or anything but they d- dropped a number of comments specifically to make clear that like were anyone on this team to be gay that they would be fine with that and that was that my first team really embraced me and was supportive and um and the struggles that I faced only got only became a problem once I tr- decided to ascend in this business and then I felt myself being held down we could talk about this. <laughs> the, the um, and 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 several past supervisors of mine suddenly like have a little anxiety attack, and that's what I'm going for here. Um, so so so, but so someone else brings up. So so at the time, it's 2017. So I am uh, 38 at the time. Someone around the age of 25 at Gray says, oh, that's interesting that like you had that experience because I've got this intern and this intern uses uh, they, them pronouns. And as soon as they have joined the team, they have made clear to everyone, including their you know higher ups at the agency, no, these are my pronouns and this is what you will use. So it's like, shit, like this assertiveness, right? Then cut to someone who is probably, I'm just guessing, a decade older than me saying, that's funny. When I got into this business, not only did I have to pretend to be straight, but I still had to go to like hospitality events at like strip clubs and help objectify oh, the gosh. performers. Like this was, this was a, a weird microcosm of like, Oh my God. Like we talk about how change doesn't happen fast enough and it doesn't have happen fast enough. And like every day that we have to deal with the, with the oppression that we deal with is, is a real burden um, on the spirit you know, both, both just in terms of humanity and creativity, that's essential to this business, but you've got one generation, you know, who had to actively demonstrate, like behave in some of the worst aspects of straight culture for the sake of preserving their career and client relationships to, Oh, wow. I actually had like 
nothing specific to complain about. Um, I didn't get like a, you know, I got immediate support and then I figured out my struggles to the place where younger people are saying, this is who I am and we're not going to, we're not going to debate this, you know, and I'm not trying to use three anecdotal stories to speak to the full, like, you know, zeitgeist of each generation. I'm just saying that like that, that moment and hearing those stories in our, in our brainstorm, like I was like, wow, we're, you know, the trajectory is, is, is on course for better representation. And I think that the person who could say, this is who I am is in a position not to second guess themselves and everything they say, and in a better position to contribute to the bottom line of this industry through what creativity, because it comes through self-expression. Yes. And, and I feel like, I, I feel like I relate to that too. Like, so I remember in what my first job, like out of grad school, like we, like it was like a, we, like all of the LGBTQ plus employees, like we all had like our like small circle and we, we never really talked about it outside of our little like gatherings and whatever, because we were like, oh, everybody in the office is kind of like whatever. And then like as the years went on and stuff, we kind of saw the change happen where like, I remember at one point we had our like accountant like come out to us after like the Christmas party. And like, we started to see that change. And I feel like what you touched on too, about like people who were saying like, you know, these are my pronouns. This is what you will address me by. Like that's, I feel like 2017 when we started to really see that shift and people being like, no, like I'm taking control of my narrative. Like you will, you all are going to have to adjust. I'm tired of having to fit to what you're going to do. Like, this is who I am. You're going to have to respect me. This is it. Like, which is how any, environment it should be and a lot and like a lot of us might be like oh that's so crazy that like we you, like you we would have to do that but it's like no like it is crazy that you should have to like try to form or change in your work environment because a lot of these companies are like we want you to bring your whole self to work and we want you to feel it's like um no um diane in accounting like you're <laughs> you're always making these snippy comments like we don't feel comfortable no <laughs> well look well look if my full self if my full self is that I am polyamorous and we're having a conversation about families and automotive use, right? How, how, how people use cars on their consumer journey and how they make these decisions together. I would probably have some pretty good insights to lend about like what a um, different family dynamic lends to the buying process. You consider that like if you were in a thruple, um, which is a very valid way to live and what would, how that would add new dimensions to both the car decision-making process and also the car financing process. And then also into the design and the use of that vehicle. These are all great insights, but you were still in a place where if I were to bring that up, they would say, well, I'm not <laughs> sure that, uh, that, uh, polyamory is uh, your polyamory is the thing that, uh, that we need to talk about here. I'd be like, well, that's funny because when one of my coworkers, uh, got pregnant, we brought them cake. And I'm pretty sure what they did was bring their personal life into the office. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's this, when it's a heteronormative thing, we get cake. When it's something else, it's maybe that's not for here. You know, um, it's sort of what I get. This is not me shading people who are celebrating <laughs> pregnancies. This is, this is me saying, ce celebrate polyamory. This is me saying, um, I mean, you know, okay. So here's, here's, here's a funny little tidbit, um, which is that I had major imposter syndrome starting to help co-lead this organization because one, I've never run an agency and two, I've never even like run an LGBTQ campaign, but what have I done in my career? I have helped tell the story about how agencies need to make progress in a demonstrable way 
to make change, right? So I'm comfortable with with my with my co-chair role in this organization. That said, I you know you make up these things like what if people question me? Like what if what if people ask about this? And I I, I always imagine someone sort of going, well, you know, even though you haven't run an agency, and even though you haven't done this, the important thing is that like you know you're doing this for who you love, right? And I'm and I'm just like I guess, but like. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing this for love. You're doing, you, you bring your love to work. Who do you love? And I'm like, myself. Um, It's, it's, it's a weird position to be in, but like, but there's also this, I mean, we are, it is to the point where, and this will, this will seem soapboxy a little bit. And like, and I certainly have friends who will be like, Oh wow. He's going on this tangent, but it's like to be, to, to not, to be a person who's like not looking for a relationship that gets questioned in agency culture and undermined in various ways. I had someone who had a past agency was talking to me about a big promotion and um, you know, it was, and then the same person said, you know, well, you're looking to have a kid. Right. And uh, I was like, no, absolutely not. And they're like, I could have swore that you and your partner were talking about, you know, getting a kid. I was like, what, partner? what do you know that I don't know? Where is he? <laughs> is there someone in my house? Do I need a security system? Um, and, 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 and it's sort of like, you know, you could tell me I'm reading into it, but it impressed upon me because it followed that conversation about like whether or not, you know, I would advance in this company that like, well, if you're advancing in this company, you've got to be doing it for the sake of building some sort of family. You've got to be doing it for the sake of like building some sort of thing. And you're looking for that kind of thing. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. I might get a golden <laughs> girl's house later, but like for right now, but for right now, I think that there's a lot of like, you know, justification of advancement or or, 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 or a lot of decisions about advancements are made in, in the context of like, you know, um, um, mm-hmm. of what people are trying to do with their personal lives and how to support them. And I'm like, I, I'm like, if I do exceptional fucking work for a company, um, I would like to be compensated so that I can continue to rent an apartment and buy all the comic books <laughs> and velour sweatpants that I want. And that's not for you to question, right? Like I could be single forever, but it's like, you know, so again, that's, that's sort of an inch point, but it's, it's also just my, my personal perspective on, I've seen that like when I've done something that is not heteronormative, which is just by itself, the pursuit of a, of a monogamous relationship that it has affected my advancement in the way that I'm. And I feel like that's, that's such a, that's such a true point too. So I feel like whenever it is the discussion moving in, I feel like that's why a lot of people are like, will not bring it up, but they're like, I don't want to bring my, like, uh, like I don't want to bring my wife, whatever. Cause if the company finds out like I'm a lesbian or if the company finds out like I'm whatever, like they'll be like, we don't want that as our senior vice president of Mark. We don't want, like we only, they, they will try to make up something to be like, they actually just didn't have what it took to make the mark. And it's all because like, you're not giving their stereotypical, like heterosexual picture that they have in their mind that their VP or CEO or whatever in their mind should look like. And it's just, no, like yeah. I do well. <laughs> I never, I never imagined a CFO. I never imagined a CFO with tattoos and two husbands. So you just don't hire that person. Um, it's sort of funny. Judy Greer did this episode of um, Mark Maron's podcast, WTF, where she said that it was easy for her to like deal with. Um, I had listened so long ago, but she said that like, he, he basically asked, like, isn't the audition process sort of taxing? Like, you know, that you sort of put yourself out there and you show yourself and then you get rejected. Like, that's the nature of acting. It's it's part of, like, why I personally, like, stand-up was, like, very hard for me is, like, I, you get you get rejected sometimes. Um, she said something along the lines of, when you want, it's, it's easy when you understand that they just have a picture in your head. And if you don't match that picture, then you don't get cast. 
right? And it's like, oh, wow, I, that's like one, a great way to deal with auditions. And uh, two, a great reason to be terrified <laughs> about the way that people hire, <laughs> especially, especially in an industry where we also continue to throw out, well, you know what? They're, they're a good culture fit. They're not, they're, they're a non-traditional hire, but they're a great culture fit. You know what that means usually? This is someone that I want to hang out with and have drinks with, but also their job skills don't apply here. Versus, versus I picked someone who's good for this job, but like as a person, I don't know if I could have a drink with them because Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to hear about their gay stuff. So, and I can't imagine what they would say at the holiday party. So they're not a culture fit, but they're great for the job. Like we have to start analyzing those things. And no one wants to ask like, can we really quick, can I raise my hand and ask if like maybe this whole cultural fit thing is a bad idea? And everyone will go, of course, it's all we've ever been raised on in this industry. Why would we question something that we've always known and assumed? And it's like, because that's supposed to be the nature of this business. All we're supposed to do is look for new problems and find ways to solve them. So it's like, you know, I, I would I would encourage anyone who ever wondered if a culture fit was a good idea to raise their hand mm-hmm. and say, what does that mean in this context? Right? Is is that person's cultural fit gonna be something that, you know, to, just provides more uniformity for the culture of this company or brings a new perspective? Because we all know the power of new perspective. We all know the, you know, tons of, of quantitative studies that show that when you bring in actual diverse perspectives, that you get the kind of um, creative tension that you need to have higher profit margins. And I feel like a lot of times, like, people will do the things like, oh, like, we want different, we want whatever. And then, like, they find someone, and then they're like, oh, well, we, this might, they go, they'll say, like, this might not be the right time right it's always like this might not be the right time right now it's like um what changed you liked everything they did all he did was he brought his husband to like the party with you and now all of a sudden i don't know if he's ready for this role like this might be a little too out this might be a little bit too out of reach for him and i'm like um you either want to start uh, quote unquote bringing in diversity or you just want to stay like pick, pick pick a side pick a side like you can't do both Yes. And, and, and this is where intersectionality definitely comes into the conversation because there's levels of that that hit for other people. That is a, that is a orientation thing. That is an identity thing. That is a race thing. Like, you know, we get hit with levels of that stuff. Um, You know, it's one thing that they, that we're doing their Hispanic stuff, but then they also have a, a partner. Like it's just too much. There's this, uh, I feel like I've heard a lot of the, the, there's just too much that you went too far. And I'm like, well, it's funny that you think I went too far considering that I saw how you behaved. (laughs) (laughs) And you're, and you're straight. And that definitely like was not within company policies. And it's again, but again, we don't, we don't question, you know, we don't question tradition. It's like, I'm doing too much by wanting to uh, celebrate uh, my Asian American culture and that, you know, I'm bringing that I want to bring my wife to like now, now I've, now I've done it, Janet. Now, now this is the wall. I've, I've gone over, like, I can't celebrate my, can't celebrate my culture. Like what? It's just, but that's so true. You get to pick one. That's so true. They do that. I've definitely, yeah, I've definitely seen like the intersectionality come in and like, you know, as, as, as something that we have to examine and contend with in that way, where it's just like, we should be again, celebrated for all this stuff. And, and, you know, it's, it's not that like, I think that sometimes the knee jerk reaction is, Oh, like someone would maybe hear me talk about this and say like, so you think that we shouldn't be able to celebrate pregnancies anymore. That's not what I said. I think we should celebrate my two boyfriends. 
I think we should celebrate, you know, um, my singleness. <laughs> this is this comes back to that Sex in the City episode where it's just like I gotta buy I gotta buy a baby shower gift for your kid, and you lost my shoes, and you won't buy me new shoes. Where are the shoes for single people? I, I don't know if you know this episode that I'm talking about. Um, I, okay, I, okay, yeah, I like I am Carrie Bradshaw. Let's okay. just get that clear. Got it. That terrifies me a little. We can unpack that later. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Miranda for sure. I also uh, thought during our conversation of the episode where Miranda was like considered for partner because they thought that she had a girlfriend, um, that they would rather have her be a queer person than a single person. Mm. Because as a single person, she wasn't trying to build mm-hmm. a specific thing. And if you're not trying to build a certain thing, what are you trying to build in your life that we as a company would try to support with compensation? It's like, Whatever the hell I want to build. If Miranda wanted to stay single forever and like get that same Chinese food order for the rest of her life, that doesn't make her less qualified or less ambitious in terms of her ascent in that law firm. Like, I could, yeah, I could go down this rabbit hole because that there, like, with all with all that, there's so much to unpack. I love Sex in the City. I love Sex in the City, so we can. I love analyzing Sex in the City. you're like love that for you but this is what i (laughs) people people are like do you like do you like friends i'm like i like talking about friends (laughs) i i like i like address can we just like it's it's good to be in a in a a world where i can can we all admit that ross was a homophobe and everyone goes he was right and it's like that's the kind of progress that we made (laughs) it's like okay it's like let's spend an hour talking about this over coffee yeah. And then let's continue this conversation. <laughs> yes. But, but like also, but in direct, in direct, you know, reference, I mean, we're, we're going on this joking route, but also in like direct reference of things, it's like, well, I certainly didn't have a queer icon besides the grumble to see when I was like, <laughs> uh, when I was like, you know, 13 or 14, I certainly was able to see Ross, um, you know, be homophobic. Uh, almost every week for a laugh. And then it's just like, well, he's a good guy. Cause he's, he, you know, he just, he can't help himself. And it's like, well, where's the, where's the queer people who can't help themselves, but be queer. And where's the people who can't help themselves, but to celebrate that queer person. Like, you know, that's, that's where we grew up. And so every, every win is a win. You know, retweet. I had, I like had a train of thought and then like my mind went down like two lanes and it like split. And now I can't find that thought. Are we in the multiverse? It, like, it, it literally, like, <laughs> you said that. It, like, my, I got, like, two thoughts come in, then they split, and it's, like, I now lost my train of, I lost my complete train of thought. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know what happened. It was weird. Like, it had two thoughts pop up. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Um, I do. My next one is, like, I do want to talk about, so, we now, like, I'd say, like, we've made progress in the whole office culture of, I'm not even going to say celebrating. I'm going to say tolerating because I feel like there could be, there's a lot of work that needs to be done where we're seeing like a lot of companies and stuff like have these like groups and stuff um, where they'll, I don't even know what they're like called think tanks where like a lot of companies are like, Oh, we have boards and stuff for our LGBTQ plus employees where we talk to them about their issues and do stuff like that. Like, do you feel like, that something because i've heard people be like oh that doesn't really help because like we talk about our ideas and then they only kind of stay in the room and they don't trickle up to the top and the change really isn't made but do you feel like those types of things that are still adding vital thing or like what is your view on those type so so 
my view on the LGBTQ ERGs affinity groups, we'll get into the verbiage of that, but that um, I, our industry is best with strategy. Um, and you have to consider that like, you know, the, the, when I was, when I graduated from college, my understanding was that the, um, there was an event or a, a, sorry, an account planning group that came out of the UK that had sort of pioneered the, the, uh, profession of, of advertising strategy and that it was only like 25 years old at the time when I graduated. So we're talking like, I guess like the, the, the eighties, the seventies or something like that when strategy was really like starting to formalize itself. Uh, historians, please. (laughs) I'm just saying like the point, the point I'm trying to make is that like, you know, formalized strategy didn't come along for a long time because, you know, as long as the creative idea was good, you assumed it came from like a good place and you assumed that it was because of something they witnessed in the world. Like what was Mad Men about? Like the fact that Don, though he had gotten some numbers from the stats department would largely like see something happen in the world and then be able Mm -hmm. to drive that. So, you know, and why question the Dons of the world if they come in with enough confidence? So strategy ain't always been a part of this in the way that it needed to be. And I think that um, we get a lot of tactical thinking still, right? Um, I've seen over the course of my 23 years, I've seen um, campaigns that did well, won awards. And and I was like, what was the objective here? And they're like, transparently, like, we just had like a creative idea and we went through it. It's like, oh shit, well, I'm glad that it worked out in a way that the client was happy with. I've seen people sponsor events and then sort of go like, oh, well, that wasn't a great event. I'm like, what did you want to accomplish? And they're just like, uh, shit. I mean, look, I mean, look at that event. It's a big Mm -hmm. event, right? Like, you know, people, you know, the thinking tactically is the problem. And, and so strategy is great. And that that has to carry on to these efforts, because I think that what happens is people sort of say, we can do an ERG, we can do an affinity group. And that is a tactic. That is not a strategy. Right. Um, I've, I've seldom seen them start from the place of surveying the people and asking the people what they want this to be. I've typically seen, and we're doing more research on this, but what I've typically seen anecdotally is we're going to have one of these because we need one of these because other companies are doing these because these are the only solution that I see in the market. And by the way, I like, from my perspective, doing, uh, you know, working with do the work over the past, uh, two and a half years, um, I, I see ERGs definitely as the source of progress for LGBTQ people. This is the source. It is not typically coming from the top down. There is some management support sometimes, but it's still like you are allocated mm-hmm. to this. But there's this assumption, there's this assumption of what an ERG is for everyone, right? I'm six months into doing this work before Brian Vaught, a publicist, tells me, like, you're using these terms interchangeably. You know, there's a difference, right? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> Tell me more <laughs> from Brian's the, the framework that Brian presented was um, an affinity group is sanctioned, largely propelled by the community itself. And, um, you know, they can sort of do their thing, i.e. Um, a, a LGBTQ affinity group says we want to get together for pride and we want to have a happy hour to network with, th- you know, and, and things like that. And the company says, OK, that's cool. We'll help you get things together that an that an ERG is an employee resource group. So sanctioned by the company, but also um, provided resources. Um, and so that they can, you know, do some, they can do some of these things with like funding and with support and maybe an executive sponsor that a BRG is the top level of this. And that a, that would be a business resource group, i.e. a group where they are sanctioned, funded and invited to be the oh. voice for their community on business policy. Right. If you ask me, I think 
based on resources and bandwidth and your talent pool, that every one of these groups should be a BRG, right? But instead, uh, I think a lot of them probably function in the middle as, as ERGs. And I don't think a lot of them are handed the framework for how mm -hmm. to do this. I think, again, they're just like, well, you're an affinity group now. Do that thing affinity groups do. And left to their own devices, not being told. And by the way, that includes you advising on HR policy. That includes you, um, you know advising on cultural practice beyond pride. That includes you being a go-to resource for helping us connect to communities that we're speaking to as we do LGBTQ work, that those groups just go, well, pride's coming up uh, and let's do something, let's do something for pride. Right. They, they, you know, and, and, and I've certainly seen a lot of groups go beyond that and get very inventive, but it's just like, they've had to sort of do it in a vacuum a lot of the time, it seems like. So, so I, I do, th I, I love those groups. I applaud them. Um, I, we're having a really interesting conversation plug at Advertising Week this year where we're going to talk about um, what an agency level group can accomplish versus a holding mm. company level group. So that should be, I, I don't think that, I, I think that those groups can work in better harmony and we're going to have like a conversation about that. But I think that like even that conversation stems from what do you what what do you expect to accomplish mm -hmm. at the agency level? What do you expect to accomplish at a holding company level? What does the scale of the holding company level get you? You know, there, there's certain things that like there's certain things where you're like agency level should be it because it's about our culture and it's about our you know whatever. But if your holding company can get you, you know, a hundred more people in that conversation for things that have more wide reaching you know repercussions, why not do that? Um, so I, th I think that, you know, all of this boils down to decide what you really need these groups mm -hmm. to do, what their real full role and function is. Don't just throw, don't just assume you even know what an ERG is. Decide what your ERG or BRG or affinity group has the power to do for your business the way that you would use, do any other business unit. Go, this is their remit and this is what I need them to do for me, right? And then this is what I will empower them to do it with. Currently, I think we're in a mode where we just sort of go, well, they can do their thing because we don't want to put any more pressure on them. And then in the process, we don't give them resources to do it either. Right. Like, so like, but if you were to start like a mobile unit, you'd say, I need this mobile unit to grow our revenue, our client base or whatever. And thus I'm going to feed money into them for those purposes. Right. But we're not doing that with affinity groups. We're saying, well, it's nice for that. They have a, a voice and we, and we hope that they do something cool and they'll tell us what they want to do. You know? So I think that, um, the, the objectives are going to be really, really key to how all this moves forward. Yeah. I feel like that's so true. It's like, if you, cause I feel like sometimes people come to them, they're like, if they really just want a support group where they can like, just talk to others and like, kind of just like voice, like what's going on. And then others are like, okay, no, like we're actually trying to get some stuff changed, like about equal parental leave for us and like other types of things that our needs are. So we need to discuss like, funding and other things and get like actually see at the table so i feel like like that's completely true like we agree with you like you first need to establish okay like what are we trying to accomplish like what what's doable what can we actually do with what we're trying to put together and when you get down to those conversations i think this happens a lot with just all diversity stuff at, at agencies every every erg of every kind of erg deals with this they've got an ocean to boil right? So we're the queer organization. What can we fix here? Well, we got to fix staffing. We've got to fix the amount of queer people that show up in the ads. We've got to uh, fix the amount of queer people who are involved in the production. We have the amount, uh, we have to fix this. And there's this long list of stuff 
this long list is the same for every agency. These are problems every agency has, and they're just like, we could do this, we could do this. And that's what makes it hard to select their thing, right? Um, what I, one of my dreams is just to see more of these groups own one part of what we have to do and do it super well and, and, and then contribute and share that with the world, right? Like, let's say, for example, that if an agency decided that instead of trying to fix every aspect of LGBTQ and advertising in their, their agency and try to fix hiring and try to fix all these things, that they decided that because of their brand values, that they might be specifically aligned with the bisexual community, which is highly underrepresented and faces visibility challenge challenges. If any one agency saw fit and had a stake and an investment and support for that community where they could speak up for bisexual people and start to develop, you know, programs for bisexual people and 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 centers of excellence around that and resources, that's something that they could share with the entire industry, right? And then another company can solve another thing, right? Like our, you know, hey, what we really, if we, if you look at our brand values, where we really have a stake in the LGBTQ communities is we're a healthcare agency, so it's about healthcare practice. So we're going to develop LGBTQ healthcare practices as it regards to the advertising marketing world and share that with the rest of the industry so that not everyone has to solve the healthcare thing, right? Or the mental health thing. So, um, so I think that like, you know, there's there's something to be said for these groups not only having objectives, but for them to have spe- specified objectives where they can take small smaller pieces of this you know large ocean, develop like centers of excellence in those, and then you know become the benchmark for how the rest of the agency can sort of or the rest of the industry can say say oh we'll do that we'll adopt that practice cool we don't have to invent that from the ground up and that it's we have every agency is trying to figure out self-identification right it's now, a crisis right it's aren't they all like, like who are we what are we doing what's going on but but and they're all doing it themselves <laughs> aren't aren't they i mean my perspective unless someone comes forth and tells me and i would love to be corrected here unless someone comes up to me and tells me no we're developing a centralized self-id resource for this industry like Ooh, that's great. That's the kind of thing that you should solve with the scale of this industry and all the people who need to be identified within it. But like, what are we seeing right now? A bunch of companies who, and I'm not belittling their efforts. And I think that everyone should be, you know, invested in asking these questions, but it's a little weird. It's a little weird to me is all that all of these companies are trying to solve it versus like us solving it as an industry. Like they're like, no, we're going to do it. No, we're going to, no, we're going to do it. No, we want to do it. We're going to do it. Yeah, I'll be the one and, 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 but all, you know, oh, man, but we're going to do it. But like, we don't have the numbers for this group to tell us how they want to be identified, but that's, uh, we'll just sort of figure it out maybe, or maybe actually we won't figure anything out because if we don't have the numbers, we can't ask the people and we don't want to make mistakes because we don't want to get canceled. Um, so then there's this whole spear, uh, fear spiral that takes place. Um, I think that there's a lot of room for coalition in fixing the problems that are affecting the entirety of the industry. Like we need, it's like to the front, please to the front, to the front, to the front. <laughs> to the front. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's, um, but yeah, I mean, and that, that seems like really common sense, right? I mean, I feel like some of these things sound like they're like not groundbreaking, but like, then you get to the point where like they haven't been fixed. 
you know, but they haven't been fixed. Like, you know, you sound like a brokered record sometimes when you sort of like, you know, ask for these things. Can we please fix industry-wide issues as an industry? But we're also like very competitive, right? And and again, like we've always been a competitive industry. I think the coalition is going to be a really an important thing. I think it's so important that organizations like the 4As exist to align stuff, but they can't fix everything, you know, and they're so, they're so involved in so many different aspects of, of the business grateful for all that they've done. But like in this case, you know, who can rise up from different companies and sort of say like, Hey, we're all, can we share best practices and self ID? So like, we don't have to, we, we just fix this for the whole business and develop an industry standard. Like that Gosh, would be nice. Pre- preach. It's, it's like, it's like, why, like, why are we making this more hard? Com- like Avril says, why do things got to be so complicated? Why like, I gotta, yeah. And, and she, you know, she's the first, but here's the problem is all the people making these decisions are wearing the neckties, but they're not wearing the tank tops. And that's where and that's where Avril has us beat. She wore a tie and tank top combo, which just shows true innovation <laughs> that we need to emulate in this business. <laughs> I, I can't. Um, somebody call Avril. Um, yeah. For my last question to wrap up, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've kind of talked about like top up, bottom down, that type of thing, and like what we can do, but. I feel like it also comes down to like, I know you touched on your story of how your coworkers, like before you told them, like they very, they spoke in very supportive language. And I feel like the question that a lot of coworkers and stuff are like always bring up, we're like, how do I show up for my colleague who is part of the community in a way that even if they haven't come out to me, but how do I do it in a way that practice, like lets them know that like, this is a safe space or that they can come talk to me or that I can support them. And I feel like we kind of hit on it by like, addressing them by their proper pronouns whenever they say like, Hey, please use this pronoun or stuff like that. But do you have any other like key things for those who are like, how do I show up for my LGBT plus coworkers better? Okay. So the way that you're positioning this is the truth. Like that is, that is the the thing I've heard. like, what do I do? What do I do? And they're currently resting in this discomfort based on their inability of, of knowing what to do of, uh, of, of, I wish someone would show me, you know, and what you're seeing. And you saw a lot of this around black lives matter. A lot of like companies saying, okay, we get it. Just tell us what to do. (laughs) Why do we have to, you have the same Google as everything. And and by the way, if you're going to, if you're going to ask me, pay me, compensate me for my insight. If you're using this for business practice, right? Yeah. Um, I have a friend who, you know, she, she's, uh, she says that every she works at cannabis and every time a uh, new cannabis policy is passed, someone just happens to want to take her to lunch to sort of like, what, chew her ear? Is that the term? And she's like, oh, what you're asking for is consulting and I would like some cash, please. Um, you know, there we, we've discussed this, this burden of education that comes on the multicultural groups in terms of educating all these companies, right? Um it's it's really crazy that we're that we're in that place. So so you know, you're just you're you're uncomfortable and you say, can you please, can you please tell me what to do so that I can be comfortable? And, you know, they go, figure it out. We're done doing this for you. Figure it out. And by the way, bless those people who have the strength and the fortitude and who are naturally educators who still say, look, I understand my role in this. It is, I actively want to educate people. Like, that's cool. There's a place 
for everyone in this process. We love right? them. We love them. We, we do. My best friend uh, is that person. She, um, during the time where we were uh, having political discussions, I was the one that was, you know, she's just like, let me build you a bridge, a uh, friend from high school who doesn't believe, you know, in human, like humane treatment of others so that I can bring you over here. And I was the one that was dumping gasoline on that bridge. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't do that. You know, it's, I definitely temper those tendencies, but like, you know, there's some people who are natural educators, right? I'm, I'm clearly like making an effort here and trying to like have these conversations and stuff like that. We all choose the degree to which we want to, which we want to step up in this, but it's not enough to just be uncomfortable with, with your inaction, right? Like to let discomfort be the reason for your inaction. Be, if you're going to be uncomfortable, be uncomfortable because you're taking action, because you, because you, um, because you're doing something. Um, if you're doing something, I like to say, welcome to the discomfort. I'm not sure if that's something that I've just gradually like eased into because that's how I think about it. Or maybe someone else said it. Um, I'm sure someone has better versions of this, but it's just to say that like, if you are like Kate Wolf always talks about like, Allies are great. That usually speaks to like intent. You feel for me. You empathize with me. Thank you. My accomplices are those who have stake in this and who are taking action on my behalf. These are people who have something to lose, which again, welcome the discomfort because I have something to lose too. Every time I say I have no intention currently of being in a monogamous relationship, every time I say I don't want to have kids, every time I say um, that, yeah, I'm going to speak up on microaggressions, I have something to lose. And so you, the way that you know that you're doing the right thing is if you are nervously putting yourself in a position where you have something to lose as well, like be in this with us. And, and, and that's what the privilege thing is, right? Which is just like, well, I don't want to lose that. And it's like, well, here's the thing. You, I know that you're privileged because you have something to lose, right? Like this, this is all about this. That's why so much of like the, the, the diversity training focused on, um, on unconscious bias and like, and, and awareness mm-hmm. of privilege. That's why you went through those courses that some of you like begrudgingly made time for between the <laughs> meetings is so that you can understand that, yeah, you have something to lose and to, and to be someone who takes part in this, you have to do that. But like, it, it works out well for all of us, right? Like what is, what is any hero's journey where they like recognize that they, that there's a right thing to do and that there's sacrifice for, for doubling down on what is right. Having learned a lesson from some other person and being taught that like, Oh wow, there's someone that I can, I can help and someone I can be, you know, a hero too. Um, wow, this sounds like I'm setting up like accomplices to be the hero of the story. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying that you can, that you, you know, that like, but like, you know, uh, heroic action is, is to sort of see that like, I have something to lose and I'm going to do, I'm going to do this anyways. And then what happens? Like you get the reward of, of the life you were meant to lead or the path that you were meant to follow. And, and, but no one, no one does that easily. So if you're feeling, but again, like, you know, it's not to say that like the people who are, who are doing it wrong are the ones that feel comfortable. Everyone feels uncomfortable, whether you are doing the right thing or whether you are afraid to do the right thing. Um, it is better to feel uncomfortable because you're doing something. Like, yeah, I always tell people, I'm like, never feel like you're too scared or whatever to ask. Like, we're not going to like, we're not going to attack you. Like I always tell people, I'm like, I'd rather you come in, like talk to me and say like, Hey, how can I, whatever, whatever, then just like continue doing whatever and offend me and everybody else in the room. Like just like you're, yes, you're going to sound uneducated by asking the question or being whatever, but it's like, wouldn't you 
whether fix it than just keep doing whatever and being ignorant. Like that's how I always look at it. Yeah. Be a, it's really funny. When I was at South by this guy was just like, can I ask a question without like getting canceled? Basically this was, this is how <laughs> I recall it. You know, can I, I, I want to ask this. I know I'm going to sound ignorant. We're like, welcome, welcome to discomfort. And he asks, he asks this question where he's like, you know, I just, I feel like that this is a club that I'm not necessarily involved in. If I don't already have all the answers, I can't get in here. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to be an ally. I'm ready to do this. And he basically repeated that question for five minutes. Like, he's like, I want to be there. I want to be, I want to be a part of this. I want to like, I can't say, you know, I know I can't memorize LGBTQ, whatever, but I want to be a part of this. And after like, you know, like literally minutes of asking this question, we were just like, this is the thing is you keep talking. (laughs) You keep, I have to stop you so we can answer you. I have to stop you to tell you that it's not okay that you can't memorize LGBTQ. And I love to say that in an industry that can memorize BBDO, DDB, TBWA, WPP, you better be able to memorize LGBTQ. You memorized all the rest. R2D2, C3PO, (laughs) BB-8, BB-8, another queer icon. Um, But like, you know, that if you can remember, like that you have to that you have to commit to action, that you have to say, I'm going to get it wrong sometime, but I'm going to try to do it. That was the speech mm-hmm. of someone who tr- who had given up on, on, on doing it. And also, you know, I just want to show that I'm here. And it's like, well, then you have to listen to us. Um, you know, and I'm sure he was uncomfortable hearing that. We all politely told him these things that, that you have to, you have to let us answer. You have to memorize those letters that you just got wrong because we know that you're capable of it. And I'm sure he felt a little bit embarrassed, but I'm also like, but if he did learn it and if he did internalize that, like he had to let us answer the question that he posed of us, then he's making progress. Welcome to the discomfort lessons learned. Hey man, like drops mic. We're done. We're done. That was it. Like, <laughs> we're done. Like pack it up kids, go home. But Graham, thank you. Just, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for this. We need to have a part two with where we just unpack sex in the city in friends episodes. So we're going to have, have a, I have a great friend who, uh, who ran for years, not only a sex in the city podcast called speaking of Carrie, uh, but also <laughs> ran sex in the city tours. We can't do that episode without her. I'm calling that out now. Okay. It's like, um, we'll, we'll bring her on. We'll bring her on. Yes. Um, also I just need to say, Unique because <laughs> yes, I, pr- I promise. Unique. I promise. He's been waiting. <laughs> I, we, I was like, we had to fix. We had to bring it up at once in the episode. I was, I was like, if he, if he asks me, what's your leadership style? I'm just gonna. Leave yeah. it to <laughs> I'm gonna be like, I'm one of one. I'm number one. I'm the only one. The only one. And then just and then. Don't even waste your time trying to compete with me and then just like see how many listeners think like this guy is a narcissist. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, that was the dream. I was like, if I get asked about leadership style, that's dang. how I'm doing it. But just know that that was, I was ready. Oh, dang. I, I, we should have just like ended it on that and just let it, <laughs> and just let, just ended it where you're just like, <laughs> don't even try to, and then just don't even waste like, your wow. time. I want that to, yeah, let's just, let that be, let I'm one of one be the pool quote for the post. That would be, that would be gorgeous. We're done. We're done here. (laughs) Community, community co-founder says, I'm the only one (laughs) that's terrified. (laughs) 
I, it's all Beyonce references for everyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. It's all Beyonce references. It's yeah, all yeah. stream renaissance. Um, if yeah. that's that should be your number one takeaway from today, stream renaissance. That's what we yep. want you to know. That's the lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but Graham, thank you so much for being here and just blessing our ears feeds for this great discourse. Thank you for the opportunity. I got to say that, like you know. Um, that, that so much of, of the progress we're able to do is for having new conversations. I, I think everyone, honestly, who has who has had no stake in this or has been uncomfortable in the past, who even listened to this, um, it is it is it is the willingness to engage in these conversations to um, you know to give LGBTQ conversations new platforms. Uh, the the way that's the way that we move forward, and I'm excited for even more voices to become a part of this discussion. Amen. Um, yeah I'm just gonna I I really I I wanted I wanted to end with a Beyonce quote but like you've already you've already done it I can't do it like it's I'm gonna end out with saying unique stay unique people unique yes wow how great was this episode if you were like me you probably took a lot of notes and have a lot of questions and comments so if you do feel free to add us at adweek across twitter instagram all the social medias and we'd love to hear from you all and feel free to give us a rating on apple podcast that always helps us and we can't wait to hear from you all and see you in the next episode so bye everybody thank you for listening to young influentials part of the adweek podcast network and acast creator network this podcast was produced by al manorino executive produced by chris aarons and edited by lane mcgibney at bountwell studios you can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.